What's up, guys? Welcome to this month's bonus episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. In a moment, you'll listen in on this month's Shoreline, where a high school student shares their testimony of God's work in their life, followed by a message which we believe will be helpful and applicable to your life as a teenager. We're so glad you're here, and without further delay, let's tune in. Hey y'all, my name is Campbell Hawkins and I'm currently a junior at JJ Pierce High School. I have a new life in Christ and I'm recovering from pride, people pleasing, disordered eating and comparison. I've had the privilege of growing up in the church where I learned about God and his everlasting love for me from a very young age. I attended summer camp at the age of nine where I heard and understood the gospel and accepted Christ as my savior. Yet even after doing so, I didn't fully understand what it meant to have a relationship with God, and the things I read in God's word became only head knowledge. Going to church on Sunday mornings and knowing all of the answers during small group made me feel superior in my faith and better than the people around me. I let my pride rule over me and was living my life only for myself and the approval of others. For years, I set myself to a higher standard to be the perfect daughter, sister, and friend, but what I was doing was in no way to glorify the Lord. As I entered middle school, my mind was consumed with thoughts around what clothes I was wearing, what I looked like, and how much I weighed. In March of 2020, around the time that COVID hit, I found myself spending most of my time scrolling on social media where I continued to battle, silently battle the thoughts of what my body looked like to others. Eventually, I let these things take over my heart and I started to develop an eating disorder in hopes of changing the ways I looked, which I thought would then give me the affirmation and approval I so deeply desired from others. I knew what I was doing probably wasn't the best for me, but I didn't care. I slowly started to forget everything I had been taught about God growing up and allowed my flesh to grow stronger. Through all of this, I continued to wear a mask, acting like I have devoted my heart fully to Christ. At the time, I didn't really think about God, and even when I did, it was to question him and why he made me the way that he did. The question I kept asking was, if God loves me and wants the best for me, why would he give me a body he knew I wouldn't like? I continued to silently battle the thoughts of my worth, being based on how I thought others might perceive me based on my outward appearance, until February of 2021, when some of my friends and I took a trip to visit one of our old small group leaders. We decided to read some question cards at our last breakfast together, the last one, which I will never forget, in which it read, what is one secret you've been keeping that you haven't told anyone? After long silence, all of my friends were willing to take a step of vulnerability and share something they felt convicted by. I remember the stubbornness from my own heart refusing to share, but it was at that moment when I felt the Lord tugging on my heart to confess the sin I'd been trying so hard to hide. After confessing my sin, of an eating disorder and struggles of body image to my friends and small group leaders, I felt the biggest weight taken off my shoulders. We cried together knowing of the growth and the freedom that was to come out of this together. As it said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, God's word reminds us that our bodies are a temple. For a long period of time, I didn't think my actions of disordered eating were sinful because it was justified through my opinion and feelings. But after bringing it to the light, I was able to see the truth behind it, being that my body is not my own. It is something given by Christ to steward for his glory, not my own. Looking back at this sin I once struggled with, I can see Christ's abundant faithfulness and the various ways the Lord has worked in my life. I was able to talk to my parents about my struggles with body image, I now have truthful relationships with my friends and family and community around me that I've been able to connect with peers who have once struggled with the same thing I did. 
Truthfully, there are still hard days where I found myself doubting the Lord's power or what his overall plan is for me. Although I have spent a lot of my life striving to please others, I found how to live my life only for Christ and to rely on him during trials and seek his word to gain a new perspective on the sin and how to battle it. Colossians 3.23 through 24 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Wanting the approval of others isn't always sinful or of bad intent, but it is who you, are, who you are hoping to please that matters. Anytime I find myself in a situation where I'm wavering in my faithfulness to seek God's approval overall, I try to find ways to remember myself, to remind myself that my worth is in Christ alone and my identity must not be rooted in the things of this world. Things like success in sports, good grades, or what I look like on the outside are all fleeting and will only give me temporary happiness. God is our only source of true joy that everyone is capable of finding, no matter how far gone you think you might be. God has recently been teaching me what it looks like to trust in him through all things. Being a Christian doesn't always mean that everything will be easy, as we will still go through trials, but by allowing Christ to have full control over my life, I can live every day walking in the love and grace that the Lord offers. If you relate to any part of my story, I want to leave you with the reminder that no matter where you are in your faith, there's freedom in all things. As Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Whether you're currently dead in your sins and are longing for something more or living your life devoted to him fully, know that God provides true joy that no worldly thing can ever offer, as well as his mercy and freedom. And that is something that we're able to rejoice in. Thank you for listening to my story. Amen. You may take a seat. Um, I am so glad that we're here tonight to get to learn from God's word together. So I want to invite you to grab your Bible, grab your journal, and let's get ready to learn together. We have been walking through a series this school year called See You at the Shoreline, where we've been observing miracles and encounters with Jesus um, when he was here on this earth near the shoreline. Oftentimes he would perform miracles or he would meet with people and truly transform their lives near the shoreline, which is part of the reason why our ministry is called Shoreline, um, because we want to come to the Shoreline to, to learn from Jesus and to meet with him. And so tonight, to set up where we're going, I want to tell you a story of an epic fail um, that I experienced when I was in my junior year in college. I was a um, religious ed and elementary education major, and so I had a semester where I was going to be a, um, a student teacher as of a fourth grade class. I went to a, a Baptist church in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands where I went to college, and there was a, a Christian school attached to the church. And so I was the fourth grade teacher in the spring of 2008. Most of you guys were just babies um, when this was happening. Um, and so, anyways, I am the teacher of the class. I'm learning from the actual um, regular fourth grade teacher. And here's a picture of where the classroom is. I Googled it because I want you to go there with me. I want you to experience the pain and the sorrow of this epic fail with me. And so it's kind of on a hill, as you can see. Um, but that class that's at the, the front of this picture is where I was in 2008. And one of the students in the class, I think, if I remember correctly, I've tried to block it out, that her name was Kezia. And Kezia comes up to me and she says, Mr. Germain, um, I, I, I want to go to the bathroom. 
And the problem was, it was at the end of the school day, it was pouring down rain, and the, the pickup line had already started. And so I was like, man, I don't want to leave the classroom, walk all the way up the hill, you know, make sure she went to the bathroom, wait for her, and then come back down. Maybe we would get soaking wet. Maybe her mom would be waiting for her. I didn't want to, to, to worry about any of those things. And so I was like, Kezia, please, can you hold it? Your mom's probably about to be here soon. First big mistake. So she goes and she sits back down, and uh, you know I'm, I'm sitting at the desk, and I, I one of the other students comes up to me and they're like, "Mr. Jermaine, Kenzie is crying." I was like, "Why is she crying?" So I get up and I walk over to her um, her desk, and I look under her desk, and there is pee all over the floor, and she was crying. This fourth grade girl, however old you are in fourth grade, nine years old or something like that, had peed herself in her class in front of all of her friends because her, her um, student teacher told her, can you hold it? Can you wait? And I look back on that situation with so much horror, obviously. I imagine there's some 24, 25-year-old girl somewhere out there today that when she's asked, like, what's your most embarrassing moment? She's like, fourth grade. I had this, I had this um, substitute teacher, and I needed to go to the bathroom, and he told me no. And, and I couldn't hold it any longer, and I peed all over the floor in my class in front of all my friends. I'm sure that happened. That has happened. Kezia, if you're listening someday, I'm so sorry about this epic fail. And the, and the reason I start there with that embarrassing story, that epic fail, is because that's something we can all relate to, right? Um, not maybe that specific scenario, but failure. Doing something or making a choice or uh, um, going through on a decision that you look back on with regret. And tonight I want you to consider maybe some more serious epic fails. Maybe there's one in your life right now that no one else has ever heard of before. You've never told them. It's one that if you, if you could erase it from your, your life, you would. It's the one that maybe you're, you're most ashamed of, that no one else knows about, the one that makes you feel like a disappointment. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like God is disappointed in you? You've made that choice. You've done that thing again that you wish you wouldn't. And maybe just maybe you think that God is looking down on you with disappointment and frustration and anger and annoyance. Have you ever felt like God is disappointed in you? If that's, uh, if your answer that, to that question is yes, which I imagine it probably is, man, I've got some good news for you, and I'm so excited that you're here to um, listen to and read and learn from John chapter 21. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles um, to John chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, um, we'll have the verses up on screen as we're walking through this text. Um, but just to set up the context of John chapter 21, uh, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's met with a couple of times with his disciples and he's passed on the, the, the mission. He's told them he's gonna give them the Holy Spirit and they're gonna be his witnesses. And at the end of John 20, it's almost like the story's over. 
and, and it says that Jesus did these amazing miracles that we can't even fit all of it into the Bible. And then John 21 almost acts like a, like a post-credit scene, right? Like imagine a movie is at the end of the movie, Jesus raises from the dead and he tells his disciples that they'll be um, his witnesses everywhere and the credits are rolling for a while and then it goes black and then the scene um, pops back up and it's John chapter 21. And what we're gonna see in this, in this, in this chapter is this big idea that because of Jesus, failure isn't the final word. Because of Jesus, failure isn't the final word. It doesn't have to be the final word. We'll look at um, the life of Peter and a moment in his life when he experienced an epic fail. And maybe, maybe just maybe, there's someone in this room that can relate. Maybe you, you failed um, just today or this last weekend at that party with that group of friends, by yourself, with your, your girlfriend or with your boyfriend or whatever it might be. And I realize that in a room this size with so many teenagers um, listening, that many of you are at different places in, rela- in your relationship with Jesus. Some of you failed, like I said, a long time ago, or maybe it was just today or this last week. Maybe even some of you don't even see your failure as such a, a bad thing anyways. Wherever you might find yourself, I believe that there's something in this story for you. Because of Jesus, failure isn't the final word. And we're going to see and observe um, four lessons for the hearts of those who failed tonight. Don't worry if you don't get them all right now, but we're going to walk through them one at a time. But the four lessons we're going to observe from John 21 are these. Our success finds its source in Christ. When we fail we can either run from or run forward. Jesus meets us, meets our failure with favor and forgiveness. And failure isn't the final word. Those are the four lessons we're gonna see from John chapter 21 as we spend the next few moments reading and learning from this story, okay? So lesson number one is this. Our success finds its source in Christ. Our success finds its source in Christ. We're going to move really quickly through this first lesson, but I really do think it's important if you have experienced failure at some point in your life where you chose less than God's best, when you ran to your own desires, when you ran to um, things that pleased you, and as you look back on it, you may look back on it with guilt and fear and shame and a feeling of disappointment. This first lesson is still really important. Our success finds its source in God. Let's read verses one through six of John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel of uh, Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So understand, these professional fishermen are fishing all night with zero success, not even a tiny little goldfish. Verse four, and just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, 
Do you have any fish? Other translations say, um, you know, brothers or bros, a term of endearment, if you will. Do you have any fish? And they answer him, no. Verse six, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were able to haul, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And so these professional fishermen had caught nothing all night. Jesus shows up on the shoreline and he says, hey, fellas, put the net over on the other side of the boat. And then they haul in so much fish, they weren't even able to bring it with them into the boat. And in that simple story or element of the story, we see this idea that our success finds its source in Christ. They hadn't forgotten how to fish. It just was no longer working. And it's such a simple truth, but one that's easy to forget that our success finds its source in Christ. You know that just because you're good at something today doesn't mean that you will be good at that thing, whatever it might be tomorrow. There's just no guarantees. And so that's why this truth that our success finds its source in Christ is so important. Let me see if I can illustrate it like this. Um, You're coming up on the end of the school year, right? And it's so close and you can taste it and you're already dreaming about summer. Um, For me, I wonder if this happened to you. When I was in high school and I was nearing the end of, of the school year, let's say in math class. I, by the end of the school year, I felt like I had gotten a good grasp of all of the the topics. So imagine you've learned, you know, geometry and and trigonometry and calculus and, and whatever else, and you feel like you've gotten a hold of it by the end of the school year. And then you go off on your summer break, and then you come back, you know, the next fall semester, and you go back to that same math class and the teacher begins to teach, you know, some of the concepts that you, you, you were learning back in the spring. How many of you guys have sat in the class and just been like, I forgot it all? <laughs> I know, I know, I know you have. You're like, what is this? I cannot remember it. I was so good at this at one point, but because I spent three months not even thinking about it, when I came back, all of the like skill and ability was gone. And, and I use that illustration to, to encourage you to think about the fact that whatever you're good at, whether that be academics or, or, or athletics or the way that you communicate or the way that you, you rally friends or the way that you contribute in your friend group or whatever it might be, whatever the skill, the talent, the ability, the gift that you have, it is really important to understand that our success finds its source in God. It's so easy. It's so easy to think that it's all up to us. And it's so easy to think that we've earned it because we've worked hard or we've practiced or we've gotten tutored or we've um, fill in the blank. No, our success finds its source in Christ. That's the first lesson for the hearts of those who failed. Our success isn't in ourselves. We find it in Christ. Lesson number two. When we fail, we can either run from or run forward. When we fail, we can either run from or run forward. Look with me at verse 7 of John 21. It says, That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. 
First of all, uh, if you are not familiar with the gospel of John, uh, John, one of Jesus' disciples, he wrote this gospel and he refers to himself time and time again throughout the gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, what a flex. You're writing a book of the Bible and you're making sure everyone who ever reads it knows that you are Jesus's favorite. So he's like the disciple who Jesus loved knew and understood because of this miracle of the fish that it was Jesus. And Peter when he is told the person on the shore is Jesus, he's the one that just performed the miracle. You know what he did? It says that he was probably naked or not. He didn't have on a ton of clothes. He put on his cloak and he jumped into the water and he swam towards Jesus. And even in that simple um, element of this story, here's what we understand or here's what we see. If you ever come to grips truly with who Jesus is, you're going to have a, a, an extreme reaction. If you ever understand who Jesus is, who, what his claims were, you are gonna have an extreme reaction. That's what happened when Jesus was here on earth. There were those who surrendered everything, they left everything to follow him. And then there were those who planned every single day how they would kill him because he claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. He was interrupting their lives in such a way because he called them to something different, a new way to live. There weren't casual followers of Jesus or casual um, enemies of Jesus. That's just a, a, a 2023 thing where people casually go to church on Christmas and Easter and maybe read their Bible from time to time. No, if you truly understand who God is, who Jesus is, you will have an extreme reaction. And Peter's extreme reaction is to jump into the water and run forward, swim forward, if you will, toward Jesus. But the crazy thing is, just about a month before this um, scene, where, G where Peter is swimming towards Jesus after this miracle, Peter had denied Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. Where individuals had asked him, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And he was like, no, I'm not. Are you sure? Are you sure you're not one of his disciples? And he, he goes, no. And then they were like, hey, I thought I saw you in the garden. When we came to capture Jesus to go crucify him, I'm pretty sure I saw you. And other accounts of that story say that Peter swore. And some commentators say that that means that he, he used cuss words to make sure they understood how passionate he was, that he didn't know who Jesus was. And some commentators just think that he used, uh, he swore like, you know, like on my mama's mama's mama, I don't know him. And so Peter just a month before this moment, had denied Jesus over and over again. So how did he get to this moment where he knew Jesus was on the shore and he did everything he could to get to him? What had he learned? How did he get there? I think a good way to illustrate this as I thought about this was um, the Lion King. I know it's a sharp right turn. How many of you guys have ever seen the, the animated version? Came out in 1994, the best one. Yeah, there you go, there you go, there you go. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, you literally have had 30 years to watch it, so I'm gonna spoil it. 
okay? You know the story. Simba has his dad Mufasa and his uncle Scar. Uncle Scar wants to take over the pride, and so he kills his brother Mufasa. He makes Simba think that he's the one that kills him. Simba runs away, begins to live a life that is um, careless and free, Hakuna Matata. He doesn't want to think about his past. He wants to move on, eat bugs, and walk on, 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 on trees and enjoy his life, and he meets this monkey. How many of y'all remember his name? (laughs) Rafiki, let's go, come on. He meets this monkey and he has this conversation with him. And actually there's a a profound conversation that he has with with Simba. Where he tells him, hey, the past, it really can hurt. But I've heard, I've, I've understood that you can either run from it or you can learn from it. And then in that moment, like Simba has this, you know, epiphany of like, yeah, I'm going to go back home and, and, and take over the pride and, and, and bring back peace and law and order. But I just love that idea or that, that, that concept of thinking about your moments of fear, of failure. You can either run from it or you can learn from it. And so here's what Peter had learned in between the moment where he had denied Jesus over and over and over again to this moment where he was literally swim, he couldn't, he couldn't wait to get to Jesus. What he had learned was my relationship with God is not determined by my past, but by Christ's past. Not by my record, but by Christ's record. He had understood the gospel. That Jesus came to live and die a perfect life and a perfect death and raise again from the dead to offer us new life and new hope and new purpose. He had understood the gospel clearly all throughout the three years of his ministry with Jesus. Jesus was trying to illustrate this to him. And he saw it in this moment probably in, with such great and incredible clarity. And I, and I submit the lesson to you. Guys, your relationship with God is not determined by your past, but by Christ's past. His past of death burial, and resurrection for you. So wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever you're walking into the room with, whatever burden might be on your shoulders, to use um, Campbell's example, your relationship with God isn't determined by your past. It's determined by Christ's past, his death, his burial, his resurrection, not by your record, but by Christ's record. Guys, that is good news. That is amazing news. And so when we fail, we can either run from God or we can run forward to him. That's the lesson, the second lesson we learn from John 21. Lesson number three, Jesus meets our failure with favor and forgiveness. Jesus meets our failure with favor and forgiveness. Let's read John chapter 21 verses 9 through 14. I'm going to sit over here at this, this fireplace. Let me make sure this is out of the way so you can um, all be able to see it. John chapter 21, verses 9 through 14. It says, when they got out on, on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. 
And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast um, with me. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. The first thing I want us to notice from this text is that when Peter first arrives on the shoreline, Jesus is there and he's making breakfast over a charcoal fire. That might seem like an odd detail to to include in the story, but there's a real significance to it, okay? So Jesus has created a charcoal fire, if you will, to to make breakfast for him. And the reason why this is so significant is because if you look back in the story, specifically at John chapter 18, verse 18, we see another charcoal fire. In John 18, 18, here's what we read. It says, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And so at that first charcoal fire, that was when the people around looked at him and they were like, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he was like, nah, not. Wait, are you sure you're not a follower of Jesus? Sure aren't. Wait, we saw you in the garden. You're definitely one of his followers. And he's like, on mamas, I'm not. So at that first charcoal fire, Peter denied Jesus three times. And so without even bringing up that that instance, Jesus uh, confronts Peter with that past rejection and failure, right? And he does it in such a humble and gentle way. He never brings it up. He never meets Peter with scolding. He doesn't go, how could you? Why did you reject me? Why did you deny me? You promised that you would never forsake me. You said that if all the other disciples forsook me, that you would never do it. Jesus didn't do that. He created a fire and he made him breakfast. Guys, that is just such an incredible picture that I hope you get that what Jesus was teaching Peter there is that no matter your failure, Jesus offers a fresh start. No matter your failure, Jesus offers a fresh start. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever is, is hanging on your shoulders as a burden right now, no matter your failure, Jesus offers a fresh start. We sang it in the song, right? No failure, no mistake can separate us from Jesus because he loves us, because he came and died and rose again for us. So here's a question I have for you as we sit around the fire. And imagine you're sitting across from Jesus and there's the charcoal fire and you're maybe even reflecting on the ways that you've um, gone your own way and sought your own desires. Here's the question. Where have I failed that I believe is beyond Christ's forgiveness. What have I done? Maybe what have I thought? What have I not done? 
I don't know what it is for you, but where have you failed that you believe is beyond Christ's forgiveness? My prayer is that around this charcoal fire, like Peter, when he was reminded of his failure and denial of Jesus three times, that he was also reminded of Jesus's grace and provision, um, that his failure um, is not the final word. Where have I failed that I believe is beyond Christ's forgiveness? The answer is there's nowhere. Jesus waits with open arms to welcome you back to himself, to forgive you, to bring you peace, to make you whole. So that's the third lesson that we learn um, at the shoreline. And here's the last one. Failure isn't the final word. Failure isn't the final word. John 21, verses 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, do you love me more than these other disciples? Because before you denied me three times, you had said that you would never deny me. So do you love me more than them? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, you know, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so just as Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus asked him a question of healing, a question of restoration, a question that maybe he is asking you right now. Do you love me? Do you love me? You see, the most important question any of us can answer is, do I love Jesus? Failure doesn't have the final word. It isn't the final word for those who have entrusted their lives to Jesus, who love him, who who want to know him, who want to follow him, who want to surrender their lives to him. And so we see in the three askings of the question, Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And Jesus gives him a purpose, a new purpose. And so Jesus didn't want Peter to be defined by his past failure. And he does not want you to be defined by any failure in your life. He wants you to be defined by his sacrifice on your behalf. Jesus wants you to be defined by his sacrifice, his death, burial, and resurrection. He wants to give you peace, and he wants to give you hope, and he wants to give you a new purpose, and he wants to give you joy. And the question, the most important question for any of us to answer every single day is, man, do I love Jesus? No, really. Like, do I love him? Is it not just... Is it just, you know, something I'm doing because my friends are doing it or my parents are doing it? But do I love Jesus? 
It's one of the most important questions you can answer. And so, man, I, I loved reflecting on this chapter, John chapter 21, because I think it's so relatable to every single one of us. We've all failed. But because of Jesus, failure isn't the final word. It doesn't have to be the final word. And so I pray that tonight, yes, tonight, someone would be free from the the shame and the guilt and the pain and the heaviness and the weight and the burden that comes with um, feeling like you failed, feeling like you've disappointed God because he waits for you with open arms because of the, the work of Jesus on the cross for you. Let me pray and then we'll sing together one more time. God, we love you. And we're so grateful um, that you are a God of fresh starts. And that regardless of the the times that we repeatedly um, fail you and run from you and seek our own desires, um, that you're right there on the shore, so to speak. And that we have an opportunity to run towards you, not because we've, we've, we've worked our way up to being able to run towards you, but because the gospel is true. Because you um, sent your son Jesus to live, die, and raise again from the dead. God, I pray that every single person in this room will be reminded of that fact as we sing it out here in just a few moments that no failure and no mistake that we make can separate us from you. God, I pray that these these students um, would just be reminded and refreshed by that fact that there's hope for those who failed and there's hope in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. For more information on Watermark Students, check out watermark.org slash students. And we love you guys so much. We're glad you joined us. We hope you shared this episode with a friend and we'll talk to you next time.